Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. Hi, everyone. So this is Project FIA Goes PC, episode number 96. 96? Can't believe we're going through them this fast. It's been two weeks. It's been quite a tragic two weeks, actually. I don't want to dwell on the news because most of it, as you know, if uh, you're in the world right now, if you're an alien, you probably won't care. But a lot of the stuff we're hearing in the news is all kind of tragic and depressing. So I don't want to dwell on it, but I will and I have to make acknowledgement of the Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip, passing away. Uh, we do mention of ours quite a few times on this here podcast. And as someone who's always been kind of an admirer of his, I was very tempted to write a letter to him not so long ago. Um, one of these kind of fateful things, because he's really been quite an inspiration for so many of us, uh, Prince's Trust and all of this. So it's kind of a sad loss. Um, he had good innings. And he's done, an, uh, well, basically done so much in his life. 99 years, can't really cough at that. I'm pretty sure he was happy. Um, he didn't have to have a letter from his wife. No one wants that when he got to 100. Um, but basically, celebrate his life. And hopefully, um, the Queen knows that we're all thinking of her. Because it's a hell of a difficult thing when you've been married for so long and had someone be your personal aide for so long. It's quite an incredible relationship. We should all celebrate that. The other loss we've had this week is Aunt Polly from the Peaky Blinders. We mentioned that last time, and so you have to kind of mention it. She, uh, The actress Helen McCrory has passed away at the age of 52. She was incredible in the series. She's sort of featured in Harry Potter here and there. I think she was a villain. Not that we hold it against her, but it's been a hell of a loss, a big surprise to a lot of us who love the show. We're from Birmingham, so obviously to us it's extra special uh, what she did and that show. It's put this city on the map. So Damien Lewis and all the family and the kids, we're thinking about you. It's tough times. Saying that, though, we've got to move on. We've got to try and brighten up the horizon, so to speak. We can't dwell on all this negativity for too long. We do feel a loss. And actually, the sun's been out. So, you know, there's got to be positive things to talk about. Things are starting to open again here in the UK. Stage two, whatever that is. I don't know how many stages there are. But we are now having pubs open with beer gardens, things like this. Shops are opening. It's such an alien concept. I didn't realize you could go to a shop. I thought everything nowadays came by package. Speaking of packages, we just had an incredible package. Something we've been really waiting for for quite a long time, but you can't rush perfection. And I just give a quick shout out to the Stanford Bookcase Company in Yorkshire. Yeah, John, he does it all on his own and he delivers it. Custom made bookcases, amazing. We needed it for my comics, a lot of my audio books. I don't read, as all of you know, I listen or look at pictures. I create my own story. It's better. I don't read. I just create stuff. Interesting. Always changes. But you might notice 
I'm just on my own right now. That's because our producer, Winifred, say hello. Hello. Has been reading a lot. I have. Yeah. Yeah, because you've got a bookshelf. Yes. Yeah. Just trying to fill it up now. Are you? Yeah. Well, does that mean you're going out buying books? Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> well, i got a lot of books back in Hong Kong that I want to bring over. I have a whole collection of Calvin and Hobbes comics. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <gasps> I'm zoning out. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that American? You're more of a Garfield person, aren't you? Yeah, that was mm. American, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's funnier. No. Reminds me of your cousin Duncan. Hi, Doug. <laughs> Why? Because he likes lasagna? No, because he's awesome. Yeah. 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 Yeah, sarcastic. I love it. It's great. <laughs> um... So yeah, like bookshelves, very hard to find them. I'll, I'll just say this. I'm going to wrap this up quickly because I don't want to embarrass John. If we just do a whole podcast about how cool John is. <laughs> he did come all the way from Yorkshire to deliver this because he doesn't trust couriers. I don't blame him. Mm-hmm. They trash everything mm-hmm. usually or throw it in the hedge or something like this. <laughs> or you have to ask someone that you don't know if you've never met before who lives three doors down. And for us in the forest, it's pretty difficult because yeah. most of those are pigeons <laughs> or owls. Couple of pairs, maybe, I don't know. Um, but John, uh, thanks for all of that. I'm sorry, I missed you. I was out walking the iguana. Uh, we nicked him from Bob. And so I missed you, unfortunately. But if you are ever down in Birmingham delivering again, please stop by. Consider us a pit stop. We'd mm. love to see and we'd yeah. love to chat. It's an amazing thing you do. Customed, real wood, furniture. Who'd have thought? Mm-hmm. It's all Ikea now. Yeah. Flat packing all this kind of malarkey. Yeah. Sad, but hey ho, I'm glad there's people like John in the world. So mm. that's Stamford Bookcase Company, based in Yorkshire. Yeah, cover nationwide. Don't want to put the pressure on him, say it's international <laughs> sales because <laughs> I mean, it's a great trip to, to I don't know Orlando for Disneyland, but yeah, I won't put the pressure on him. But no, it's UK exclusive at the moment. Mm. I, I think it's incredible to see this stuff, and I always like that we can source handmade stuff from this country that's a good sign yeah feels good yeah despite all of this nonsense about brexit right so we start off by positives any books you've been reading lately uh well poetry okay yeah um that's not a book that's a pastime (laughs) (laughs) uh there is one comic book that i recently got called i will judge you by your bookshelf which is uh, it, so it's it's fun. It's, if uh, if you were to do that for us, mm-hmm. we'd be from Yorkshire. Yeah, ju- yeah, yeah, yeah. It would judge be sturdy, well made, no, decent. Wood. Obviously, judging the books on the bookshelf. Never judge a book by its bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But uh, poetry mm. is basically uh, prep for real stories. No. Yeah, it's it's poetry a sketch is, artist. Poetry version. is a sketch artist version. Yeah. Yeah, you know, good, you, you're sketching it, yeah. and then it becomes a portrait it's eventually. It's a condensed version of meaning and story in a shorter format. Yeah, also known Unless as... Unless it's an epic. Also known as boring. Like, <laughs> it's the kind of stuff you need as a sleep aid. You no. know, all of, we were talking about the song Wales, or the sound of the Welsh choir. I don't know yeah. what we were talking about yeah. last time. Yeah. Or, you know, best relaxation is poetry. Just have someone read... I, I'm dead before you read the title, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I wrote you a poem once. Yeah, I prefer hip hop. <laughs> so anyway, I do. <laughs> That's the future of poetry, mm. gangster rap music. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is poetic. Is it? It's just music. Not always. <laughs> Sometimes it really isn't. Together. Yeah. It can be. It can be. It can be. It can yeah. be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lyrics are kind of musical poetry. Are they? Yeah. 
Uh, it depends on the lyricist, I suppose. Well, yeah, you wouldn't put Slipknot, I can't agree. Mm. Maybe you could. I don't mm. know. I mean, I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. It's more like the uh, evolution of bards. Mm-hmm. Rock artists are once known as the bard, I yeah. suppose. Like stand-up comedians, the courtroom jester. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, everything evolves, man. Perhaps, perhaps. I don't know. We would never. Re- Could you imagine actually going to a courtroom jester once upon a time? And just they just juggled. They weren't <laughs> that funny at all. Yeah, there must be an evolution to clowns. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. They definitely oppose Batman. That's all I know. What? Oh. Yeah. Joker. He's the one in the pack you never use. I always thought it was a spare. You know, like if you lose one of the cards, then you can just like write on the Joker and go, oh, this is the four of clubs that I lost. You should never write on the Joker. You've devaluated the cards. Devaluated? Yeah, yeah. It's like writing on a pound note, five pound. We haven't had a pound note since Victorian <laughs> times. I don't know. Um, the point is, right, the Joker's used in like five games out of six billion. I don't know any of those. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great one. There's a great one on a video game that I play. Well, I play Big Two, so we don't use the Joker in Big Two. Well, Persona Five, which is just a shout out to a game that you can get. It's on discount right now. Everyone should buy it. (laughs) Rush to your PSN store and buy it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you got a PlayStation, you're scuppered if you don't. Uh, I do think that they've got uh, Phantom Strikers on the Switch. It's Uh. different though. It's kind of a sequel, so don't get that yet. Didn't you say that you know Tokyo because of this video game? Well, it's, it's what I was constantly few. driving Pete, Pete mad with when we're out in Tokyo, <laughs> was the fact that there was two games that gave me quite a lot of insight of Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, because it's based on Tokyo. Playing games is really important because there's a lot of pictures. I know this street. I've gone down this before it doesn't in look this game. Like, it doesn't look like the game version of it because yeah. it's not hand-drawn. The real street's quite streety. Ugh. Yeah. What about GTA? That's LA, isn't it? Which one? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> There's been two. The streets of San LA. Andreas yeah. is, and uh, five is. This is all boring stuff. We're losing everyone. I will go back to the fact that in Persona Royal mm. version, the Royal version of Persona 5, there is a card game that you use Jokers for. It's actually a known game. Okay. Japan. Yeah. There's a few. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But you can still do what I said, like if you I lose always, a card. Well, I also, you know, you know, because we went to a toy shop recently because it's open again. Yay. So and you're like, must go to a toy shop. Well, you know, I have to keep up to date, you know, with See what things. the cool kids are doing. Well, see what's available. A lot of it's like going to a museum because it's been there for months and <laughs> no one's bought it. But uh, one thing I noticed actually whilst we're in the toy shop, is that because we're looking at board games, right? Because mm-hmm. we're really bored right now. Mm-hmm. You need games when you're bored. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, there's a lot of imitation ones. It's one of the things in life that doesn't seem to have an IP problem or a copyright issue. Basically, if board games were on YouTube, there'd be a lot of cancel culture connected to it. Because I saw like loads of fake operation games mm. that like involve zombies and they just change a few things like yeah. monster surgeon or something it was cool yeah yeah but do you remember like we we <laughs> you accidentally well i don't know if it was accidental or if it's just the child in you but you kept pressing a pokeball ah, there was no. a pokemon game and you kept pressing that <laughs> it said press to try yeah, yeah. And so it went I on for ages it. you actually played the game but it didn't <laughs> 
You just, just walked away. Yeah, that's the whole game, man. It probably lasts three and a half hours, and you just pressed it. I think it was like a quiz game or something, but it had the whole intro. It and was, was Pokemon like, trivia, yeah. which I think only five people who should never come out in public could actually play it. I saw a button care. and I pressed it. Okay. Yeah, it was Pokemon Go, different kind of one. So mm. you po- pressed it and then left. Yeah. But um, I did. What I'm trying to say is, like, in all of those aisles, mm. a lot of things are kind of they can be automated by uh, motion sensors or whatever, and they keep talking to you. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of toys that do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had an original point here. Don't you think that the Joker in a deck of cards should have voice activation? Just laugh. Because then you'd use it more. So you got all of your cards, and then you hit the Joker, and it starts laughing at you because it's a Joker. It would be really bad if you needed it for a game and you had to conceal its presence. <laughs> but that's where it's funny. <laughs> Who's got the Joker? The guy laughing. <laughs> anyway, you know. So there could be a developed game of poker where the Joker's the best card in the deck, mm-hmm. where you have like a royal flush, but yeah. the Joker on his own supersedes that. You just play that. <laughs> You've got the best hand you can have by one card. I don't know, man. That's so weird. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing? How to utilize the Joker in games that the Joker's not played in? Blackjack mm. or something. Yeah. Wild card of some sort. Have like a. This is what Vegas should have done when they did like uh, the casinos. They should have had a circus casino, which I think they did back in the day. Mm. And made Joker relevant in every card game there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Would you need more jokers then? Dunno. Depends on the game, I <laughs> Depends guess. Depends how many decks of cards you got. Is there two in a pack? Yeah, there's only two. Yeah, I this think. is weird. And the rules. There's always like a rule card or yeah, some like kind of propagated card in the details yeah. of whatnot. We made these by killing real animals. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. You can get like um uh, cards from casinos, like the d- discarded ones. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing about California and Vegas. Mm. Yeah, you can. You can get all of the used poker decks yeah. that they have. But they, playing cards. they mark them or they... I think, I think the yeah. one I saw was like hole-punched. Yeah, well, Mart's used to be permanent marker back when I was a kid, but mm. I think they realized that you could probably wash that off. But it's so people don't go to a casino. Yeah, and, with and, those cards. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost propagating cheating, though, in a sense. Mm. But it's interesting. I like that they use them. Mm. That's the cool thing. Like, they recycle them. Of course, mm. in this day and age, that could be a problem. It's mm. like, I, I, I was thinking, because you wanted to go out to the library recently, because mm-hmm. they're open again. Yeah. My life was complete when I was shut, so I don't know. I'm not that excited by it. But um, I find that to be quite a hazardous thing to reopen, Mm. considering, you know, pandemic and such. Well, they have all of the precautions. Like when I went in, there were signs saying all books are quarantined for 72 hours before they're put back on the shelf. And That's because they're naughty, those naughty books. (laughs) I'll tell you one thing. you know, Duncan, your cousin, I, mm. I did mention him before because he is the living embodiment at Garfield mm-hmm. and he's also the coolest person in the world. But he basically works at a library. Mm-hmm. So can you imagine the new job of spraying every page? You don't spray every to page. To clean it. I'm sure they do a wipe Disinfectant. Down, that would ruin the book. You should put it in a UV chamber. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because that, that cleans work? everything. I don't know. I don't Might think make that it works. cleaner. I think that's a, a bit of a con. No, you ultraviolet can kill bacteria for sure. Yeah. 
Where did I see that? Like, it was promoted on some kind of cleaning thing, and, and it was a bit meh. Well, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. Because so I think in China, I watched something on YouTube ages ago, and China, instead of having, like, washing up stuff, they have these UV things where they just put the plates in the UV thing, you clean it, but they don't have hot water or something like this in a certain region. Yeah. So they put all their plates, after they've, wa- like, rinsed it, they put it all in this UV thing. What? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what weird. I mean. Like, it's a bit... That, to me, is weird. Uh. That is kind of strange. Mm. Yeah. Maybe this is why we've got COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Everyone's trying uh, yeah. similar Everyone's things Everyone's trying this UV logics. cleaning thing that turned into a super bug because it really doesn't work. I don't know. Mm. There's a lot of scientists that know more about ultraviolet. It would look cool, though. Like a, a UV like fridge or, or cabinet for books. That's a different kind of bookshelf. Well, they've got to do something because I think like putting books in quarantine doesn't really solve the issue. Well, they do that for like clothes as well now. Like yeah, if that's you just stupid. Return clothes. It almost feels the like shop. they've created something that's just a procedure, but it doesn't really make scientific sense. Mm. Anyway, it's all silly. So you know that's what we've been doing. Obviously, debating clothes and books, <laughs> and uh, talking about the use of the thousands of use of jokers in the card <laughs> But uh, I will say this, like, I've been watching a lot of Netflix recently. Mm. Um, things are kind of winding down. So, you know, I, I, I kind of have these phases with Netflix where I'll watch it and then months will go by and I don't really care about it because mm. I'm too busy destroying pixels on uh, various games. Yes. Because that's all mature and adult-like. But, um, yeah, a couple of things I... I wanted to watch something i was very dubious about stepping into actually it's the gary Oldman film called mank which is about the guy who collaborated with orson welles creating citizen kane okay i've heard of this film but i don't know anything about it won oscars that's good like a classic it's black and white right a lot of kids called oscar it won (laughs) yeah golden (laughs) statues uh they were good Did did you like that film the original Citizen Kane, well, I think anyone who's ever been a film student, like I was once, Mm. way back in the day, Mm. when you literally were studying all kinds of film, like cling film, salotape, (laughs) stuff like that, uh, we had to analyze stuff, right? Yeah. And one of the films that always comes up on a list, it's kind of like the equivalent of that list that they did New York Times propagated that the 50 things you read before you die kind of list. Right, yeah. Top of the yeah. top. In film, we've got similar stuff like that. And Citizen Kane is always on it because it was so groundbreaking in a way that it completely just changed all approaches. Right. You know, didn't really get that when you watch it. Okay. It's kind of one of these period of times you either like or you really don't like at all. Mm-hmm. But one thing that you can't not respect is the historical relevance of it. Sure. It's kind of like people who watch The Godfather. You either love it Mm. or you really don't get why people love it. Yeah. It's kind of, I think 1930s films especially were really tough to palette Mm. by today's standard. It's kind of like going through Hitchcock's resume. Mm. And a lot of that stuff, you're like, people were scared of this, really, Mm. you know? Um, but you can see why it's influenced so much stuff. There's kind of a law to it, yeah. especially the good stuff. Chaplin movies and Marilyn Monroe and stuff, they're icons for a reason, probably because they were groundbreakers of the time, you know? 
But Citizen Kane was one of these films that I, I don't think you store to memory when you're analyzing it or watching it. It's kind of like reading Pride and Prejudice in English. You mm. don't really care. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I can kind of appreciate you why really that's. Because you have to. Yeah, it's, it's, I appreciate why someone at the time would have liked it, yeah. but now it seems really kind of just like waffle on mm. a book, right? So it was interesting because David Fincher is directing it, Mank. Didn't direct Citizen Kane. That was yeah, awesome. right. Uh, he wasn't around then. <laughs> David Fincher has done some incredible stuff. He actually started off as a music video director, mm. uh, but he did Fight Club um, oh. Seven. Yeah, he didn't do Seven Fight Clubs. There was only one, but he did that yeah. and Seven. Yeah, uh, and others. Uh, a lot of stuff. Gone Girl recently. Mm. He did Ben Affleck, mm. Rosamund Pike. I like her. Yeah, she's cool. Mm. Uh, <laughs> he's done a lot of stuff. But he's actually collaborated quite a bit with Nine Inch Nails, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. The collaboration that he did with a few few things. And subsequently, Trent Reznor did the soundtrack of Mank. Mm, right, okay. With Atticus Ross, which sounds like a clothing brand, I've got to be honest. But he's a British uh, producer of music. So it's really kind of... It sort of starts off a bit David Lynchy. The soundtrack is. Okay. It, it kind of presents that. But the actual film itself, I wanted to mention it because it's been, I, I've been out of action. Like this whole thing has stopped me doing quite a lot of stuff because a lot of what we do in film is travel, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's no point. Yeah. I mean, you could do a really good documentary about nothing. Mm. Like here's nothing. nothing. Nothing's happening. It's called The Grass is Growing. Mm. The paint is drying. We could do that. Or we could do what everyone else seems to be doing, jump on a bandwagon of zombie apocalypse movie because that's what all this feels like, you know. But that's not my world. So I'm waiting for things to reopen and, you know, plans kind of been put on ice, I suppose. And so you get kind of down because you kind of forget why you love something so much. And Mank actually reinvigorated. I've only seen the first hour. I've got the second hour to watch. Mm. Um, but basically it's really, really uh, inspirational as far as the whole Hollywood story. It's kind of why you get into film okay, in a way. And the other thing that's interesting, just a nod to former closest people in my world, when I was living in California, one of my all-time closest people out there actually studied kind of exclusively the Marion Davis story for the AFI, the American Film Institute. Mm. And it kind of comes into that world quite okay. a lot. So you're you're getting a lot of things from uh, the Hearst estate, who, if you don't know anything about um, 1930s Hollywood, and why would you? Mm -hmm. It's boring, right? It's actually fascinating. There's a lot of cross-political stuff that's very of this ilk and of, of this time. So if you're thinking we're all going towards the apocalypse we've always been going towards the apocalypse <laughs> 1930s was the apocalypse it was pre-world war ii you know yeah uh william randolph hearst who if you've even spent time in la 10 years or whatever you've heard of that name he was super in control of everything mm. he ran the papers and marion davis was one of his mistresses right and there was a lot of kind of enigmas attached to her and and it very film noir just as her she was an actress and real life so, film noir. yeah yeah it's very interesting stuff hmm. 
in fact, noir came from that era because it's so mm -hmm. close to reality, you know. <laughs> but um, it's brilliantly done, Mank, just going back to that. Okay. And basically, Gary Oldman, I don't think, has ever done anything bad. Yeah. He's one of these incredible heritage actors, you know. I always love watching what he does, even if I'm not really a fan of the source material. You know, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, who was in, and it bored me to tears. <laughs> but the cast was incredible. You can't take away how good the acting was. But this is brilliant. This is a different league. Mm. And I think it reinvigorates anyone who's uh, really serious about writing, mm. for film especially. It's you got to watch this That's thing. cool. It, it, it's almost more important in Citizen Kane, ironically. Mm. Okay. So I, I've been watching that. I don't want to ruin the story too much. Uh, there's a giraffe in it. There isn't a giraffe. There is there. actually a giraffe in it. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to explain anything more than that, but what? there is. And an elephant. I was not interested until the giraffe. Yeah, came yeah, out. the giraffe solves it. Yeah, yeah. It speaks as well. It, that's, that's a lie. Okay. It's not made by Disney. But uh, going from Mank, which is brilliant, like, again, I think it's. It's like pulling you into a different world. Mm. And Gary Oldman really just holds the whole thing. Lily yeah. Collins, isn't it? Phil Collins' daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which always freaks me out. Because she's incredible. She mm. really is as an actress. You never even associate her to Phil Collins, former drummer stroke singer of Genesis, mm. you know, and solo artist. Mr. Aces, I'd call him. Okay. He was a good actor, though, in his own right. He did Buster and a few other things. But... um. She's she's kind of coming in her own. She's really, really, really good. So it's very strong acted, but it really throws you into the world. It's one of those very important films and it's black and white. Mm. So don't adjust your TV set. <laughs> A lot of people do that because they're like, what? Why is there no color? It's freaking me out. Uh, you'll notice that when you load it up, Netflix logo is still red, so it's not your TV. Mm -hmm. It is in black. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. just a helpful thing. <laughs> they didn't give you that as a stipulation at the beginning of the film. They should, because people, you know, come crazy people. Uh, going from that to something in Japan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, massive crossover. Mm -hmm. The other thing I've been watching, which you've been watching too, mm -hmm. uh, in between comics and books and yes. poetry. Yes. Boring. No. Really. Um, <laughs> Is Alice in Borderland. Yes. Which Alice I actually thought was like going to be about, uh, you know, how they've stopped Mexicans coming into Texas. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a girl called Alice yeah. walks on the borderland. Yeah. You know, bit Mad Max. <laughs> bit Mad Max with like tacos, you know. <laughs> That's what I was going for. But it's <laughs> Japanese, so it can't be. Yeah. So it could just be like, uh, I don't know, something. But actually, it's a very loose kind of reinterpretation mm. of Alice in Wonderland, the actual character's got her issue. Yeah, I was going to say it's misleading because Alice, there is no one called Alice in the story. Alice? Alice? Who the hell's Alice? Alice? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Arisu sounds yeah. like Alice. Well, it? it's his surname too, which is clever. Arisu. So they didn't try and pass it as his actual name. No, his actual it's, name, it is a clever play. His name is Ryohei. Which is a great name, and mm -hmm. I've got a friend called Ryo. Mm -hmm. It's a very good name, you know, very yeah. Japanese, very sound. Yeah. <laughs> Surname's Arisu, which is weird, <laughs> very strange. It's clever, but it's very loose. Mm. I mean, it's super loose. It's it's even more loose than the Matrix was because the Matrix kind of played into that mm -hmm. as well. It's interesting, man. It's kind of as loose. Like I don't know if you know the Nick Cage Wild at Heart film. 
No. Way back in the day when Nick Cage was actually an A-list actor rather than doing 200 films a year. Yeah. For tax purposes. I don't know. Or different wives. He's had a lot. Mm. Um, he did a film called Wild at Heart, which kind of established him. And it was a crazy, weird film, but it was loosely based on The Wizard of Oz. Okay. Um, you can tell I'm a film student. Yes, obviously. Yeah. So, <laughs> Unlike me. <laughs> Alice in Borderland, it kind of... It, it, so to set it up, there's a genre of Japanese things, comics, manga, uh, if you prefer. This is kind of like a light novel, a graphic novel, mm. by our terms. So a short-formed comic adaptation most stuff in japan is adapted mm -hmm. so if you're ever watching something on japanese dramas or whatever they're adapted from something either a book or a comic yeah. or uh, anime that was a comic yeah. everything goes to tiers of adaptation but this one was um really kind of a genre that i don't think the west has seen and what i find interesting about netflix it's kind of reset a time in the 90s where we didn't have a lot of access to a lot of really cool stuff coming in from Japan. It only happened in sort of 2000, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where we started getting all of the Dragon Ball stuff or whatever. Yeah, distribution yeah. was limited. Before. We all grew up going, why does everyone seem to like this Dragon Ball nonsense, <laughs> right? I was in Spain and it was really relevant in Spain. I think I might have said that before. Mm. But our biggest launch here which synced everything was Pokemon and half of the British population. I know most of the American population thinks it's American because mm -hmm. the stupid dubs mm. don't get me started. Yeah. But Alice in Borderland is a live action, which if you don't know what that means, it means fully acted TV show. Yeah. Like any other. Not animated. Not animated. Uh, it's real action. <laughs> It's live. it's live. It's not live live. No, it's Because that would be broadcasted Recorded action. live. Right. <laughs> like it's, this, like that's this confusing. podcast. Like, a bit like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we're uh, live. Yeah, we're only with live. We don't have visuals yet. <laughs> we, we're working on it. Yeah, working we're working on it. We're working on it. We're trying to get solar-powered cameras. And in England, we don't have enough sun. We're also in a forest, so it doesn't really work. <laughs> so they're on, but you can't see it because it's uh... useless. But Alice in Borderland mm. is this culture... What I, I don't know if we have a name for it in English, but I would say the closest thing is Death Game, which sounds really positive, <laughs> yeah. right? But it's basically like, I'm sure the world's familiar with a locker room because uh, it's one of those things you get given as gifts that you don't really care about. Yeah. You know, like, oh, just get him a day pass to Alton Towers or something. It's in that or parachuting or, you know, scuba diving mm. or something like this. Like, drive a helicopter. I don't know what they're doing these days. Drive a drone. Spy on your neighbor. I don't know what it is. But the package, right? So a locker room. We've all got it in high streets. It's like a kind of site-specific thing where mm. you go in, they lock you in, you got to figure out how to get out. Yeah. Usually it's a fire exit. Just telling no. you. There's always a fire exit like by a law. It's like a puzzle game. Kind of like, it's like, yeah, you walk into a room, there's a Rubik's Cube and you have to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't get out of the room. That's the lamest version no. of it. So we've got a show here that's actually been reinterpreted for the millennial generation mm. called The Crystal Maze, right? Way back in the sort of 90s, late 80s, 90s, it was a huge success. Richard O'Brien, famous for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay was the host of it. Now it's Richard Adayadi. So mm. they've kept it in Richard. 
<laughs> which is nice. Yes. Right? But it's kind of like it's got different zones. So you're in this different world almost. That's okay. what the belief is. you got a guide who's taking you over all these zones. Okay. And then you're in a team, and each team member has to do different challenges in a room. That's a lot room. So all of these ideas are nothing new. Right, yeah. They've always been there. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that the Japanese, when they get hold of it, do the most dark, twisted stuff you'll ever do. <laughs> so it's not like you walk into a room and play a Rubik's Cube. It's that you walk into a room and you play a Rubik's Cube, and if you make a mistake, you electrocute three of your friends to death. <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of a thing. Yes. Uh, the risk is real. <laughs> right. So they have actually done live-action versions of this genre. Gantz was one, which mm. they made into a two-part film, which was pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are in anime, and yes. a lot of people who watch anime nowadays, because there's free-fall, there's mm. loads of ways you can. Most of it's illegal. You should have no. Crunchyroll. Or Funimation. Yeah. Just saying. Crunchyroll is good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. But, uh, you know, live streaming, whatever. Mm. Netflix has quite a lot now as yeah. well. And so some of you will probably be familiar with this genre. If you're not, Saw, you've all seen that. I wanted to say you've all seesawed. Seesawed. Seesawed at the seashore. Oh, I don't <laughs> want to do that. Uh, and also The Cube. Yeah. Not the one in Birmingham. That's actually a building. <laughs> The Australian film. Yes. But none of them are Australian. I think it's American made, but it was filmed in Australia. Right. I'm not sure. Or an, it, it wasn't was shot upside down, though, so it confused me. <laughs> I think it was an Australian production company. Because most Australian films, you have to tilt the right way up. No, you don't. Yeah, because no, all the don't. cameramen are upside down. Everything falls to the floor as well, <laughs> but just the ceiling. It's very, you know that Inception bit? Uh-huh. When I rotate round. Yeah, yeah, That was yeah. filmed in Australia. No, it isn't. Yeah, it was. It no. was on travel to there. That's why I kept flipping all over the it place. It was on route. It was on route. It was on Qantas. <laughs> That's the cheaper way of doing it, Hollywood. Um, but basically, going back to Alice's Borderline, I, this, the tangents are brilliant. Very good. It's kind of a really almost brilliant thing to be watching whilst you're in a lockdown because it makes it a lot more believable. Yeah. And... The Japanese have a really good archetype. There's not a lot of Japanese dramas that I could re recommend to a kind of general audience. Yeah. Because a lot of it's very cultural. Mm. So if you dig deep into it, you kind of have to have an understanding of the culture. But I will say this, because there's a huge rise in people like in Korean dramas, including mm. my auntie. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I had to mention it. Uh, I'm not a fan of K-dramas. They all seem a bit weak to me. Um, Japanese, though, when they do TV or adaptation of various things, well, it's groundbreaking. Mm. It really is amazing stuff. Alice in Borderland is one of these introduction to a genre series. Mm. So if you've never seen it, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, right? yeah. But there's a lot more heart in it. There's, it's never a good guy, bad guy it's worked together as a team and it's also karmatic. Yeah. Which is all of the high stuff that you like in Japanese stuff. You know, it's all good stuff. It's lost in dub, unfortunately. Mm. At least at least 75% of it is. So it is a subtitle thing. Uh, so you get to read as well. <laughs> so you do two things at once. It is basically like a moving comic book mm. in that regard. So 
try and get through the subtitles is cool, man. Like, it's just interesting. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think if Sora is your staple hold, that's kind of in the horror genre. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't really say it is, personally. Thriller. I think it's kind of psychological thriller, thriller, but that's a cop out. You know, that is basically horror light, you know? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like horror with more story attached. (laughs) Well, I think it's just a thriller with horror elements. Rather than horror genre. Well, know? it's kind of interesting because Saw came out quite a while back now. Yeah. And there's been about 6,000 different ones. In fact, some Japanese animated shows like Gintama, really good show uh, for fun. It's just like the Japanese Deadpool, kind of. <laughs> yeah. With all the Japanese sensibility. Tongue in cheek, yeah. Yeah. They've made jokes about Saw. Saw's an iconic thing. Yeah. Right. And Justin Wren, the director of it, the guy who created it, really, who's now Fast and Furious fame. Mm. Totally not the same. They should do a kind of mishmash. Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious 6500, because there's so many sequels uh, with Saw. Yeah. Yeah. So you can only drive in the building that you're locked in and it all gets a little bit crazy. Isn't that like the film where, like, you're on a bus and if you. That speed. Yeah. No, that... Because that's, that's kind of <laughs> like a locked room thing where you're in a situation that you can't get out of. Yeah. And there's a threat well, there's, of death. Yeah, again, like phone booth is that. Yeah, I like You know, like booth, yeah. one room like buried, mm-hmm. one room locales. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's similar, but it's this is a specific thing where it's almost, there's a separation of normalcy. Mm. Saw was very normal because it was in the real world and they were just kidnapped and put in this place. Yeah. Whereas the Japanese edge of stuff is like you're transported into a parallel or some kind of different dimension. Yeah. And it's, you know, the budget of Saw was quite small for Hollywood, but it was still pretty big for Japan. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing how clever the Japanese are with a small budget in something like Alice in Borderland. It's Mm -hmm. really cool. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I was talking to Will, my cousin, about it, youngest cousin, Mm because he's seen it. And he and I were trying to debate where this idea came from. Like, who came up with this construct? Because Japan's been doing it, I think, for the longest as an idea of kind of psychological horror or some kind of life and death game. Yeah. Because it'd be a pretty boring series if it was just a quiz show alternative. <laughs> you know, you're, not, you're totally safe. Yeah. You yeah. just got to do this. Not, there's got to be a threat element. You yeah. Know? And it kind of reminds me, yeah, it reminds me a lot of the uh, survival game, video game culture that's been happening really quickly in the last couple of years. Right. Uh, Games like The Forest, Mm. um, Into the Dark. Is uh, it like Our Forest? Don't Starve. No, it's not like Our Forest. Mm. Our Forest doesn't have tons of mutants and cannibals in it. Our Forest is not scary. Oh, it's pretty scary. <laughs> it, it depends on your because of you. Depends on your observation skill. It's scary in the sense that uh, I'm in it. Yeah. Yeah. You're the monster of our forest. I, yeah. So it's, well, that's a different kind of concept, isn't it? Like if you made the game where you're the monster. Yeah. They've done that. Like oh, that, there's yeah. there's a few Friday the Thirteenth and mm. Dead by Daylight's done that. Interesting reversal. Not Dead by Daylight. Oh, is, is it? I think it is. I don't know. I don't know what you're. But talking the survivalist about. thing. Yeah. It's a really, it's actually an evolved horror construct mm-hmm. if you do it like that, because you could. Yeah. I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake was kind of along those lines. You know, you got to survive this situation. Obviously, all the Resident Evil stuff that came yeah. recently is based loosely on that. Mm-hmm. 
where you're stuck in a house and there's loads of crazy things in mm. it. Well, now it's a village. Mm. Most villages in England are like that, so it's not that scary here. No. It's more like a biopic. No, they're quiet and quaint and uneventful. Depends, depends how north you go <laughs> <laughs> of London. Uh, yeah, so the survivalist thing, it always needs an edge. The Japanese do really cerebral stuff very cleverly, and a lot of people forget, but they're the masters of stuff. If you think about The Ring, mm-hmm. or if you think mm-hmm. about The Grudge, yeah. they changed the entire genre of horror. Yeah, They made it more story-biased, and there's a lot more fleshed-out vibes to mm-hmm. it. It gets generally more creepier, mm-hmm. because there's kind of a reason, a logic to stuff, Yeah, rather than just some weirdo yeah. that has... It's not too absurd. Well, that's it's it's kind of funny, because Saw kind of became a bit stupid to me. Right. The, the original film. I haven't seen any of the sequels because my whole thing is I've seen it all before. You know? Yeah, the setup is pretty much the same. Well, it's it, the, I think what they did is they, they cashed out on the fact that they just increased the violence and the gore and all this stuff. And the contra- basically it's the contraption and how you get out of the situation. There's different, it's different things in different films. Yeah. Like, basically the original one was like one room in a crystal maze mm-hmm. only the lateral thought doesn't seem to apply in america so they sort each other's feet off <laughs> you know you could have escaped this thing by finding the key it was mm. right in front of you but you prefer to chop your leg off and try and you know it, it became a little loopy mm. uh there is actually an uh, uh well chris rock the stand-up comedian right he was also famous for lethal weapon 4 and other such things like that he um, basically wanted to be in Saw, but they kind of ran out of the franchise material. So he's invested in doing a, I think it's a prequel to it, oh. which is on the cards. Of oh. course, none of us know when we'll be back in a cinema yeah. or if we will. But he's been trying to do that for years and that's come together. That's interesting. Yeah. They always seem to put a comedian in those films. <laughs> Carry yours. uh who is uh, in The Princess Bride and Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Mm, maybe it's just that the comedians want like to explore different genres. I don't know. They might need it. Mm. I don't really understand it. It's kind of a weird thing. I always felt it was weird when Robin Williams started portraying bad guys. I didn't like that, actually. He was good at it. He was good, but he I didn't He was good like at it, it, but it, it was... It, it's... It's a difficult thing when you've, I mean, when someone is so loved mm. and they cross over into severity, mm-hmm. especially in the dark side. He did a one hour photo. Yeah. And he did insomnia. Insomnia which, is the one I which remember. Which is um, Chris Nolan's film. Is it? Yeah. Chris Nolan directed it. Oh. That was his kind of after doing Memento thing. I was quite young when I watched that. He didn't write it, though. So it kind of complies to more of a Hollywood film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was Pacino and Robin Williams, and Robin Williams was the villain in it, even though that's kind of a twist. Oops. It's very hard to find (laughs) that film now, so no one cares. Yeah, it wasn't great, great. It was okay. It It was great in the sense that it wasn't actually a thriller or horror essentially it was more about being in alaska where you've got like tons of daylight and no no sleepy time hence the insomnia title rather than you watch this film and it gives you insomnia because you're scared to death it's actually about being in a place that gives you insomnia Mm -hmm. and that was cool Mm -hmm. but it would have been i think 
probably better in a wheelhouse of David Lynch or someone like that, where yeah. they could have done something a little bit weirder. Weird. Yeah, it, Twin Peaks with it. Yeah. <laughs> it was too normal, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I actually saw that at the cinema. Insomnia. When, yeah. When we used to have those. Oh. You know, a lot of kids now going, that's a fable. <laughs> You're lying to us. Yeah. It's an interesting film. But, um,. Yeah, I, I don't. I I think Carrie Yours wasn't a villain. Like some actors just go into genres probably because they want to extend their careers mm. rather than be typecasted. Yeah, Unfortunately, they're already typecasted by the time they get into the film that they're trying to change their career on. Yeah, and it becomes a bit weird. It's. I'll give you an example. It's like if you had Adam Sandler. Yeah. And you put him in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, no. <laughs> doesn't make sense. No. He was actually the uh, role. In mind for I don't know if you remember uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yes. So I'm not swearing. Yes. He was the 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 Jew character. Oh. They got Eli Roth to play it in the right. actual film, but it was based on Adam Sandler, as in Tarantino wanted Sandler in that film as that role. Oh. But he had to pass because he was doing something probably no way near as spectacular. He passed on a Tarantino? I think so. I think he was uh, the schedule conflict, mm. which I think he probably regrets forever. Mm. But it's an interesting... It could have played out okay. Mm. It could have played out okay. I think if anyone could make it work, it's Tarantino. Mm. But Eli Roth did a good job yeah. because Eli Roth's actually more known as a director of horror stuff, like The Hostel, which is just a typical weekend in Czechoslovakia. No. Don't say that. It is very Bulgarian. <laughs> it's uh, you know, like a lot of hostels in Europe. I liked Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> Spelling mistake. <laughs> well, it, it it's just an interesting. It's like I feel like you know, if you have the ultimate cast that was imagined to play things, how different would they be? Mm. It's like Will Smith as Neo in a Matrix. I don't see how that would have worked. I mm. still don't see how that would have worked. It makes sense with Keanu because Keanu is kind of, he's done action to a point. Yeah. I mean, Will Smith has, but Will Smith's all about the quips and the one-liners and the cool factor. Whereas Keanu can play really low key. Like the fact that you've got this Mr. Anderson role, right? Mm -hmm. Where he's just a dude working as a nerd in a kind of office. Mm -hmm. How does Will Smith play that? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the idea of putting Will Smith in a suicide squad. I never liked that idea because yeah. it, 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 it has too much personality with it. Yeah. You know, and you've got a character that should be kind of fit nonchalantly in a team and he doesn't fit in it because mm. he's, he's, it's almost like he comes with weight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And has... it's a shame to him too because it kind of, it's not his wheelhouse. Yeah. If you'd imagine a young Denzel Washington doing that, he could have done it. I think the thing is with Will Smith, I think you're right, like he, his personality is so much embedded in his acting as well. Uh, the only thing that I think is very un-Will Smith-like that I really liked was Seven Pounds. He's done a few. Yeah. He's got two ranges. He's got Will Smith, Bad Boys, Fresh Prince of Ballet, Will Smith, mm. which is the majority of his films. Yeah. You know, even Hitch, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he's got severe kind of drama Will Smith, mm. and he can nail that. But you can't put either of those into the Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because what you needed him to do is what Denzel did. Um, and I'm trying to remember the film now. When he was the training day. 
when mm. he was the mm. corrupt cop. Yeah. You needed that guy. Yeah. That guy could have been in the Suicide Squad. Well, I like Deathstroke. Trinity. That would have been brilliant, right? Yeah. And this is the kind of argument, like I always, pro we're going back, how how do we get back to DC and Marvel? <laughs> but this is the kind of thing that people don't understand. Like, the reason Marvel has worked to this point is mm. that they've redesigned their archetypes around the personalities fearlessly. Yeah. Right? Thor's now a comedy character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Guardians of the Galaxy are now a comedy ensemble. Yeah. There's seriousness in it, but it's an ensemble. Iron Man, totally tongue-in-cheek. You know, but can do serious because it's Robert Downey Jr. Mm. This is what you're getting. Whereas in DC, they kind of wanted to do something different with Suicide Squad, make it more kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy, have an accidental success, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of worked to the point of Margot Robbie as Harlequin, mm. but she was very typecast. She's good to be that role. And then you get to Will Smith, who brings Will Smith to the presentation. You don't know if he's a good or a bad guy. You're mm. not sure. He's killing people. But it's like, okay, I saw that in Bad Boys. That's fine. He does that. Mm. It's kind of funny and you want to hug him. Still. He's not psychotic enough. But they also wore it down because he was yeah. doing it all for his daughter or whatever. Yeah, and then he had a morality. Yeah. And, and again, it doesn't make sense of Deathstroke. I wonder if that might not be him. Maybe that was the director, the direction. Even. I think it's a bit of both uh. because I think he's probably got a stipulation where he can't lose that family appeal. <laughs> he's not willing Perhaps. to walk away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like seven pounds works because it was like almost um, a kind of out of nowhere, brilliant story. Yeah. You know, but a lot of his vehicles are kind of uh, built around his kids. Mm. Like in recent years, Jaden being a star of a lot of his stuff, yeah. Karate Kid and all this stuff, the remake. Mm. But what's interesting is if you'd imagine the Suicide Squad, the ideal cast member in that, I think Denzel Young as Deathstroke or Ice Cube as a young kind of, you need that kind of threatening menace. Mm. And I don't feel Will Smith has it. Mm. You know? he, he looks too nice. But they're nice redoing guy. the Suicide Squad, weirdly. Are they? With kind of keeping the majority of the cast and changing the things that went wrong with it. Oh. And I think Idris is going to be the new Deathstroke, which could be interesting. interesting. Yeah. He didn't get Bond, so it might as well be a psycho <laughs> villain, you know? Sad. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's it like film's an interesting thing, man. Like actually, speaking of the DC thing, the Justice League, uh Zack Snyder cut. I've never really mentioned that. Mm. That looks insane to me. Like it looks like not only does it look like you're getting an insight on how Hollywood botches everything up and thinks it's doing the right thing by bringing all of these factors in that kind of gives you a really bad movie, but it's actually like quite an incredible victory for a social media. So is it like a an entirely re-edited, recut version? So when Zack Snyder did it, yeah. he was like halfway through filming and then some kind of glitch happened. I don't know if it was a family emergency or something, but he was taken off the project and then literally became the villain mm. of the studio. I think it could have been political or something. It was something. Yeah. I seem to think it was a family thing that it started off and then they just used it as a kind of tool to just butcher him. Mm. Like... But his fans, who have a lot of faith in him from yeah. Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, which both were, they had their faults, um, they really rallied. So everyone wanted to see Snyder's take on it, mm. you know, because he was heading the, the show. He yeah. was the, the front runner. So it basically feels like 
social media exploded and said, we want to see this. Mm. It was a rigorous campaign. And it was kind of like Deadpool, how Deadpool happened with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Where the fans created the situation, then yeah. they had to take stock. Yeah. And so that was like Ryan Reynolds leaked a kind of trailer that he'd put together with, you know, original uh, kind of crew or whatever. And everyone went ballistic over mm-hmm. it. With mm-hmm. Zack Snyder, it was a case where they just wanted him to be rectified because they knew he knew where he was going. And of course, that got stinted. And the yeah. actual Justice League we got was terrible. Yeah. It had so many holes in it. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was pretty bad because they tried to add comedic stuff to something that really it's like the end of the world everyone let's have a laugh and a joke shall we it just didn't it didn't make sense the beats were wrong you know like oh you're called martha too batman says to like it's ridiculous okay you know my mom's called martha and your mom's called martha that's just because dc doesn't have a lot of names at hand <laughs> but you know it was kind of really sad uh. Um, but the Snyder one, it's got every, it's got like glimpses of Jared Leto's Joker. It's got like, it's so crazy. It's okay. almost like it suddenly makes sense. Right. The Suicide Squad is probably a better film mm. because of it, you know? And I haven't seen it yet because we're not in America. We're not an HBO Max. I think we need 12 different subscriptions mm. on different things to see. I think it's on Now TV here. But I'm intrigued by it. Yeah. Because the reaction has been incredible. People right. are saying, like, this could be one of the best films ever made kind of a deal. That's really interesting. Because for a film student, it's like an entirely different editing process it's, to it's, compare the two. It's actually really incredible of the time because a lot of people on podcasts, especially in the media and stuff, negatively, because mm. that's selling more or people are rallying more. A lot of this negativity is about cancel culture, right? Yeah. And this is actually a case where it's been the reverse of cancel culture. So it's been created because a culture said, no, we're not, we're not going to take that. Yeah. We want this. Yeah. Which is really interesting mm. because mm. in film, that's, I mean, it goes to what I said. I think I've said it a few times in the past, but the audience is controlling the comic book movies yeah, more than any other genre or any other thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's a nervousness and a paranoia attached. But I think if studios, big studios, this isn't like Miramax days, where they took punts on, well, the saddest thing is the Weinstein thing that came out of Miramax, mm-hmm. but the good stuff. They took risks. The good yeah. stuff of Miramax was when they supported the underdog, yeah. the, the nobody. Like, yeah. there's no way Tarantino could have done what Tarantino did without someone like the Weinsteins helping him do it. Yeah. And people forget that. Mm-hmm. So we can vilify him, but for film, they did some really amazing things. Mm. It's just sad that the they were bad at life, yeah. you know? <laughs> But now you're getting this incredible thing where the participation for getting things to be made mm-hmm. that the audience specifically wants, that's kind of an interesting era yeah. because that's giving stock to these huge studios. Mm-hmm. I mean, big studios going, man, we've got to listen to It's almost like a pick and mix effect. Yeah. Like these fans who are like, really screaming at us we got to do the ryan reynolds deadpool yeah. thing well they've been the students have been trying to get information like that for years that's why they have like test viewings and whatnot and now it's just all free for well them. social media has destroyed the point of test screening yeah yeah hmm. but i did want to kind of close this up on the fact that you know social media dominates brains because when we were in we we had to like leave the forest to get supplies right <laughs> yeah. so you you're out of noodles <laughs> And uh, I was out of heavy metal. So we obviously went into the local town, which is miles away. It was a big walk. I had to take three camels and a yak to get there. And 
we bumped into someone who just decided to tell us what she thought in the street <laughs> yes. about everything, all the conspiracies and all this stuff. And it actually made me think because, you know, we're coming out of this period of lockdown. Let's hope fingers are crossed, toes are crossed, arms are crossed, everyone's crossed. We're all hoping this is the beginning of the end of this, right? Mm -hmm. But one thing that we, we were listening to this woman just rant. And in the UK, we don't have much of this. This is very common in LA. Yeah. Los Angeles, this is almost an everyday experience, probably mm -hmm. more so now, right? Yeah. Um, but here we've never really had these kind of social media conversations in the street. And this woman was completely QAnon. Yeah. Right? Everything she was referencing was all QAnon conspiracy. Yeah. And it's kind of occurred to me that social media itself is becoming kind of like a religious experience. Mm. You know how Louis threw did the whole expose on Scientology? Yeah. And it was all ran kind of like really bizarrely. And he was trying to get answers, but most of his stuff never comes out of any answers. Mm -hmm. QAnon and all of this stuff is doing that on social media. It's really re-engineering how people think about life. And like I said, it's really good when you've got a positive story. Like they finally made the Justice League good. Yeah. They finally did the Deadpool film. We've been waiting 10, 20 years to, to have. Yeah. But the QAnon stuff is all a conspiracy stuff and everything's a conspiracy and it's layered on and it's all this stuff. I'm someone that brings a lot of this into practice because it's good to question stuff. Mm. It's really good to question stuff. But you need to do that with a sense of logic and backed up academic prowess. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just randomly saying stuff like, oh, that boat is... Uh, sent down by aliens and it's here to kill us all or you know there's it's a difficult time and one one thing i would say to everyone out there social media people because i've been off social media and it's been the best thing i've personally ever done mm -hmm. and it the, the fear factor in film is if you're off you can't connect yeah you need to have that connection i can tell you without a shadow of a doubt i'd rather have 53 people subscribe to my youtube page that care and stay with me then six billion people who don't care and they're just propagating each other's need to sort of well if you like me i'll like you and you do mm -hmm. this and i do that yeah. it that that loses an audience and social media i think is losing its audience in favor of creating cults mm. these separatist cults and her you know rant was really interesting to me because something I want to say for everyone in the UK right now, and even in the USA, there's got to be a separation. We're not the same place. Everything's different. So when people give you the vegan issues in America, mm. like the um, uh, antibiotics put into meat and stuff like this, yeah. we've got partitions up against that. They're weakened now because we're not part of the EU. But realistically, our biggest scandal in food was horse meat. Mm horrifically but i think that's always been there in 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 saver food you mm -hmm. know where people just don't care because it's super cheap right yeah. a pound for you know like 20, 15p 20 for burgers <laughs> for like an eight pack of beef burgers yeah. but it doesn't say beef it says meat yeah <laughs> that's a problem but you know like what i'm trying to say here is the propaganda doesn't spread mm. and this is one thing i'm finding where a lot of the youth are now propagating stuff that is very independently American, but mm -hmm. they're siphoning it all throughout Europe, which it does not apply to. And likewise, what our issues are, America doesn't have. Them. Yeah, we need to take into account context, yeah. cultural, historical, and you know, just... But it's a case where I'd rather 
say to people listening to us, if I can, just, you know, humor me being the old guy in the room. But what I'd rather have is stories like the Snyder film being made Mm. or people talking about stuff that they genuinely care about. If you watch Alice in Bornland or Mank, write a review on it or speak to each other about it. Have like an online meeting about the stuff you like. I know my niece is doing out of Harry Potter every single second of the day. She's obsessed. (laughs) But basically, that's what the internet really should be about rather than zoning in. Because here's the newsflash for you. If there is a propaganda on one side, there's a propaganda on the other side. And they're propaganda. They're not thoughts of common sense. And in a lockdown, these thoughts go wildfire because you're all in an echo chamber. We're all stuck in a room. Mm. And the only thing we have is, oh, yeah, that seems like that's going on. But we don't know because we're not in Washington, D.C. We're Mm. not witnessing it. You don't know what's going on. You're just seeing it. So utilize the strategy of good stuff. Don't be a cancel culture. Be a creative culture Mm. and create stuff like Snyder has. And and it's better for everyone. That world is better. But hey, that's just what I think. You'll do what you want to do. Um, QAnon scares the bejesus out of me, though. I've got to be honest. I think it's also cross-effective. Like, if there is a conspiracy in any of this, let it be one found from the truth and logic and let the uh, science kind of bring the truth out as opposed to saying the craziest stuff because it completely takes the objectivity away. If you say aliens gave us this virus, for example, it could be a logical reason for you or the world is flat. Mm. If that's your logic, that's what you think. But of course, there's no science backing that up. No. Like the one thing she said, and I'm just going to end on this, was she said, and I'm saying this right now because she could be right. Mm. Who am I to know? Okay. But she has this feeling that DC has all these underground tunnels, right? Mm. And Washington, DC where Capitol Hill and, you know, the White House and stuff is, it all has a network of underground tunnels, which is very Da Vinci Code. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, it it isn't Rome, right? But she reckons that it's going to flood out and turn back into swampland because she's, I believe, taken literally what Donald Trump said when he's draining the swamp. What she doesn't understand, that was a metaphor for politics, Mm. where he's going to get rid of dynasty politics, Mm. ironically, by becoming a dynasty politician. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but the point that I'm trying to say is this is how dangerous this stuff is, because if you're not very smart and savvy to not only politics or the way media works, Mm. you're being told all these metaphors and active similes and stuff like this, which is press talk. Mm. And it's melting your ability to understand what's true and isn't. So what I'm going to say, which is my plight vaccinations coming around there's so many negativity uh spin around it's because nothing's perfect for anyone anymore Mm. right be safe do what's safe for you and if you want to be protected or if you're a world traveler like myself i'll tell you this right now i could be dubious i could be skeptical but i have to do this to comply Mm -hmm. it's for everyone but myself and that's the world we're living in be nice to the people around you and you'll probably feel better about yourself. Man, that was a deep ending point. But in two weeks, we'll have more news. We're currently doing the studio up and stuff like this. It takes a long time. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming. But in two weeks, we'll say hello again. Take care of each other. We'll see you soon.